Well, as we think about the power of God and we encounter His power here in Acts chapter 9, we want to work our way through this text and understand how it is exactly that the Lord Jesus is powerfully at work in His church. That's what this text reminds us of. The the Lord Jesus is still powerfully at work in His church. And His powerful works stimulate our repentance and faith. They stimulate our turning to Him in faith and trusting in what He's done on our behalf. And so we rejoice in what the Lord has done. As we work through this text, not only will we see His power in these miracles, but we'll see His power in many turning to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, repenting of their sin and trusting in the Lord Jesus. He is still at work. In Acts 9.31, we sort of have a summary statement that kind of draws conclusion, God's work in Judea and Samaria, and then finally in the Apostle Paul's life through his conversion. And now that this chief persecutor has been turned to Christ, Luke tells us in 9.31 that there's now peace in the church, and the church is edified, it's growing, and they're walking in the fear of the Lord. Pastor Ryan talked about this section of the text last week. And that There's this healthy sense of awe at the work of the Lord Jesus through His followers in the church, the fear of the Lord. And so we come to the end of verse 31, and there's a shift here in verse 32. It came to pass that Peter... Our shift is that our attention turns to Peter and we get to see what he is up to. Peter's ministering and he's able to do these miracles, but again, the key is that many trust in the Lord. As we think about exactly how this unfolds and how we see the Lord Jesus Christ at work in the church, we're going to look at this first principle here. When he heals our brokenness, we're encouraged to turn to him. And we're going to see this in verses 32 through 35, through this miracle to Aeneas, the paralyzed man. When Jesus heals our brokenness, not only ourselves, but others even are encouraged to turn to the Lord in faith. Notice how this unfolds. Peter is traveling, and we don't know exactly why or all that he's doing, but he's working his way from town to town, probably encouraging the believers and making sure that the believers dispersed from Jerusalem back in chapter 8 are settling in to their local churches and gathering with their believers. And so Peter's kind of making his way around, making sure everything is okay. And we read in verse 32 that he comes to the city of Lydda. Now let's look at a map and see if we can understand where Lydda is. So you see Jerusalem sort of at the bottom center of that map. And to the northwest, it's about 25 miles, is the town of Lydda. It's still there today, known as Lod, and uh, it's still a place that you could reference. And so there's this village, this town, and Peter's traveled there. And you're going to see later, he'll make the rest of the journey to Joppa in the second section, which is right along the coast, another 12 miles northwest of Lydda. So there's a little bit of context of where Peter's at in his travels here. So 
Peter's on, on the road and he makes his way to Joppa and we're, or excuse me, Lydda. And we're told something specifically about Lydda. There are saints who are gathered there. And uh, Peter's encouraging the church there. And he finds a man named Aeneas who has been paralyzed for eight years. We don't know why. Uh, some kind of illness has left him bedridden for the last eight years. And the description of the miracle is fairly brief here. It's just verse 34. Peter goes to this Aeneas and says to him, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And Aeneas is healed. He's able to do that. He gets up and he makes his bed. It's interesting that when Peter talks with Aeneas, he says to him, Jesus the Christ heals you. Jesus is the one doing the work. Peter's aware of it. It's not his own power. Jesus is still at work, and it's Jesus, through Peter, who heals Aeneas. But I think maybe the most significant aspect of this miracle comes in verse 35, where Luke says, all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon. Now, let's go back to our map. I didn't point this region out. You see it's pointed out there, the plain of Sharon. So this is the region sort of north of Lydda, uh, between Lydda and the coast there, the plain of Sharon. And so word had spread even from the city of Lydda into the plain areas that this paralyzed man had been healed. And Luke tells us they turned to the Lord. Luke actually says that they all turned to the Lord. Now, it could be that literally every person turned to the Lord. That's possible. God could do that. It could be that Luke is using hyperbole here and that just there was so many that turned to the Lord. Uh, everyone they had contact with turned to the Lord, but sure, there could have been some that didn't. We don't know for sure. The point is that hundreds, many, turned to the Lord as a result of this miracle. The Lord Jesus is still working powerfully in the church. The greater purpose of healing Aeneas was that many would turn to Christ. Now, think about that for a second. Why? Why did God bring healing to Aeneas? Was it just for this paralyzed man? Well, certainly, it's a good thing for him. He's not paralyzed any longer, and that's great. But Aeneas would yet again face physical difficulties and would eventually pass away. So, this wasn't merely for Aeneas' good. In fact, the word that begins verse 35 is the word so. It points to the, the results. What God intends with this miracle is to affirm the works of Christ in the church, that many would turn to the Lord Jesus. See, He's still working powerfully in His church. This raises a couple questions in our minds as we encounter a miracle like this. Why is God not healing people miraculously through believers like we see here in Peter's life? Well, there are a few things we need to think about as we ask that question. First, I want to point out that God is still healing today, just in different ways. In fact, any time you experience healing, you're experiencing God's healing. Sometimes it's unexplainable. Someone's cancer just disappears, for instance. Other times, it's through His provision of doctors and health advice and so on and so forth. There is no healing apart from God. So, God is still healing today. The question then is, why isn't God healing in this way where you or I could walk up to someone who's sick and just say, you're healed in the name of the Lord Jesus? It'd be kind of fun, but 
God's not working that way today. Why? Why is God not working that way? Well, there are two reasons. One is that this is the time of the apostles, the apostolic era, we could call it. Jesus had granted authority to the apostles to do these very kinds of miracles. Luke wrote about that in his gospel. Back in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus told his apostles, his 12 disciples, that they would be granted special authority to do the same kinds of miracles that Jesus did. And they were pointing to the truth of the teachings of Jesus. They had a purpose, and they were for a time, and that purpose would end when the apostles' lives end. In fact, think about it. Almost every one of the apostles was martyred, which points to the fact that that specific power for them was coming to an end. Would they not have used that healing power to you know, heal themselves and live on instead of being martyred? You see, God's purpose is not in the healing itself, but in the eternal good He's doing through His power. That's where the focus is. Not only does this have to do with the apostolic era, but it has to do with signs and wonders. Signs and wonders were given for a specific period of time to attest or to witness to the identity of Jesus and the truth of His Word. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 for just a brief moment here. Hebrews chapter 2, and I want you to notice verses 3 and 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The author of Hebrews says this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord? That's referring to the Lord Jesus, who brought the message of the gospel, the message of God's salvation. Okay, so that's the context here. Next phrase. And was confirmed to us by those who heard him. That's talking about the next stage of revelation through the apostles, those who heard the Lord Jesus Christ and were granted authority to speak His words. Remember studying that in the farewell discourse, how Jesus gave that particular task to His followers to take the word and to share it. Now verse 4, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. So God had given a period of time where these apostles would do signs and wonders in the church to confirm the message of the gospel, to make it clear that this truly is from God. It was God witnessing to the veracity of His Son and the message that His Son brought. But as you notice in verse 3, the word confirmed is in the past tense. It was for a period of time. And it's done. It's been confirmed. Peter even says in his own letter that we have a more sure word confirmed to us, right? This period of confirmation was finished, completed. And so now we have the word of God witnessed by the apostles and signs and wonders from God himself. And yet that period is gone. And so that's why we don't see God working in that way specifically today. 
because these signs and wonders, these miracles, were pointing to something greater. The gospel, the salvation of God, that by the very resurrection power of God, God could save the individual who turned to the Lord Jesus in faith. The powerful physical miracles were meant to point to that greater power of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. They saw this miracle and they turned to Jesus. And I want to explain why we see this as a greater miracle. Maybe you read this account of Aeneas and your mind went to something else written by Luke. Did you remember anything the Lord Jesus did that maybe reminded you of what we read about here. Back in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, the Lord Jesus heals a paralyzed man. But the account goes slightly differently in that section. There in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus encounters the paralyzed man who was clearly brought to him to heal his paralyzation. Remember, the friends brought him in. Jesus says to the man, Your sins are forgiven you. Nobody in the room believes that Jesus could do that. And so they begin to doubt him. No no one can forgive sins but God. Then Jesus asks them a question to confound them a little bit. Which is more difficult to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up and walk? Now, the question leaves us wondering, too. I'm I'm not really sure which is more difficult. I can't do either. (laughs) But catch what he said. Which is more difficult to say? Well, actually, the stand up and walk is more difficult to say because there's visual proof that comes along with that, right? I could tell somebody who's paralyzed, stand up and walk, but, you know, nothing's going to happen. And pretty quick, they can all tell me I was wrong. But there's no visible proof of forgiveness of sins. So Jesus then goes on to say to them, So that you may believe that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I say to you, and he turns to the paralyzed man, rise up and walk. And he does. So what was perceived as the less difficult miracle proves that Jesus could do the greater miracle, forgiving the man's sins. And this reminds us even here, the greatest miracle in this text is not the healing of the paralyzed man. It's the turning of hundreds to faith in Jesus Christ. This is the powerful work of God among us, just as Jesus had predicted, even when he told his apostles that they would do greater works than they saw Jesus do. What is he talking about? I think it's the spreading of the gospel and watching as God's mighty power turns hundreds to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, though apostolic signs and wonders have ceased, the Lord Jesus is still in the business of forgiving sins. The healing of the paralyzed man points to the greater miracle, the repentance of those in Lydda and Sharon. And the Lord Jesus is still doing that work today. He's still drawing sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. He's still healing our brokenness. And when he does, we're encouraged to turn to Him. As a pastor, 
oftentimes people wonder what it is that encourages me. There are a few times in my ministry here, and this happened when I was the dean of students uh, at a nearby college in my previous job, and people would come to me for counsel and uh, often would uh, give prelude to what they were about to share. I'm, I'm really sorry to put this burden on you. I'm sorry to have to say this and uh, you know, give you this trouble. And they'd go on to confess something they'd been doing and repent of their sin and seek help to grow and change. And in those scenarios, it's been my joy as a pastor to encourage the person and say, well, frankly, there are a few things more encouraging you could do in my life than to come and share that the Lord's been at work in your heart and you're ready to turn away from your sin and walk with Him. And it would be my delight to walk with you through that. Why? Why in the world would that be encouraging? Wouldn't you rather just want to hear that nobody's sinning anywhere, right? <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> but that's not where we're at in this life, is it? We sin. So far greater to turn from that sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so encouraging when we get to see that happen in the lives of one another. Whether it's coming to one another and seeking forgiveness for something we said or something we did in sin. Or going to the Lord in confession and then sharing with a friend, you know, I I needed to get right. This was an issue in my life and I want to come clean and I want to make it right and I want to walk with the Lord. That's, That's so encouraging. We tend to tell ourselves, well, it's better just to keep it covered up and just to pretend it's not there and to, you know, just keep on keeping on. No, to turn to the Lord in repentance is a sign of God's power. Be encouraged when God is moving in your heart to do that. Be encouraged when you see Him working in the hearts of others to do that because it's a reminder that God is still at work in power. The Lord Jesus is still working in His church. I'm delighted that I get to see that so much as a pastor. He is still at work. If you want to see Him at work, then look for that work in your heart and in the hearts of of others. We know the Lord is powerful, but sometimes we look for it in the wrong places. We, we hope that He will provide healing or some kind of self-improvement or fix our relationships or take our troubles away. And it's certainly not wrong to pray for those things. And God can do those things. But we must beware of hoping in those things. We hope in God. He's not promised to take away our pain in this life. He's not promised to heal every disease in this life. He's not promised to solve every problem in this life. He has promised to always be good and to do what is good and to help us in our time of need. And so, as we look at our circumstances and our trouble and our issues, we hope in a God who is good and works with power. He works with power. God is still at work. When we see it, we share it. When we look to Him and see His work in our hearts and in the hearts of others, 
We talk about it. And this is part of what happens here in Lydda as Peter is at work in a powerful way. Many turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him. When you are convicted by sin, by your reading of Scripture, or in a sermon, you're seeing the Lord at work. Turn to Him in faith. When a brother or sister in Christ speaks an encouraging word to you, you're seeing the Lord at work. Turn to Him in faith. When you see a spouse sacrificially serve and care for their disabled spouse, you are seeing the Lord at work. Turn to Him in faith. When a brother or sister comes clean about a sin and seeks forgiveness, you're seeing the Lord at work. Turn to Him in faith. When you say no to temptation, you are seeing the Lord Jesus at work. Keep turning to Him in faith. When a sinner repents and trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're seeing the Lord at work. Turn to Him in faith. See, God is at work all around us, and as we see this, we keep turning to Him in faith. He is where we turn our eyes. He is the one in whom we hope and trust. We're going to see something else in this text, number two this morning. When He gives new life to the dead, we are encouraged to trust in Him. When He gives new life to the dead, we are encouraged to trust in Him. Now, Peter is still in Lydda, but our attention moves to the city of Joppa. And we pointed that out already just to review. It's there along the coast. There's a gathering of saints there, we learn, in verse 36. And we don't know exactly how this happened. It could be from the dispersion that happened back in chapter 8, verse 1. We also remember that Philip was traveling northward along the coast on his way to Caesarea and may have shared the gospel there in uh, Joppa, there along the coast. Either way. There are some believers gathered there. And one of those believers, her name is Tabitha. Tabitha means gazelle in Aramaic. And uh, the Greek translation of her name is Dorcas, which means also gazelle, right? And so we're going to go with Tabitha as we work through the text. In English, Dorcas is maybe not the kindest name uh, to keep calling her. So we'll call her Tabitha today uh, as we go through the text. Tabitha meaning gazelle. And she kind of lived up to her name. She was busy like a gazelle. And verse 37 uh, reminds us some of the ways that she was serving. And and 38 as well, as we learn about uh, Tabitha, she was involved in serving the widows in the church and maybe even making garments for them and clothing so that they could be well cared for. Uh, And so she was busy. And yet she gets sick and she passes away. They wash her body, preparing her for burial, and they place her in an upper room, verse 37. We don't know why the upper room. Normally, uh, you would just take the person to burial. They didn't have the same embalming techniques that we use today, and so normally it's a fairly rapid process to take them to burial, but in this case, they wait. Some surmise that even at this point, these believers were wondering whether Peter would be able to raise her back to life. And... It's possible because that's what they do next. They send word to Peter 12 miles away in Lydda that he should come at once. So Peter travels and makes it there. Verse 39 tells us about that. He goes immediately to the upper room. And again, why would they take him to the dead body right away unless it was that they were expecting him to be able to do something? 
They bring him there to the room, and there are widows in the room, and as Peter is surveying the scene, they're coming to him, showing him maybe even the garments that they're wearing that Tabitha had made for them by her faithful service and work in the church. Peter, in verse 40, sends them all out of the room. Leave at once. And he begins to proceed with the miracle. He does something interesting. He kneels down and prays. And I think this is another significant point for us in this text. It reminds us that Peter is not the one with the power here. He's talking to the one who has the power. Is this the will of the Lord Jesus to raise Tabitha to life? Indeed it was. And so he turns to the body and says to her, Tabitha, arise. She opens her eyes and sits up. Peter, in verse 41, reaches out his hand and helps her up and calls in the other believers, the saints, and they see Tabitha there raised to life from the dead. I want to pause here for a moment. With the words, Tabitha, arise, the the reader may recall another important incident recorded by Luke. Maybe you can think back to a miracle that Jesus did in Luke chapter 8. There we read of Jairus' daughter who had passed away. Jesus is called upon to heal her, and so he goes to this room. And similarly, he clears everyone out of the room. But in that case, three remain in the room. Guess who was there to watch Jesus raise Jairus' daughter to life? Peter, James, and John. There, Jesus turns to this little girl and says to her in our English, "'Little girl, arise.'" But if we go back to the words he spoke, Aramaic, the words are Talitha kum. That's my best pronunciation of Aramaic. I don't know. But that's what he says, Talitha kum. And you may have noticed audibly the similarity to what Peter may have said. In fact, there's just one letter difference when Peter says Tabitha kum. Talitha kum, Tabitha kum. Right? Little girl arise. Tabitha, arise. Peter had to be thinking back to that encounter with Jesus when he raised the little girl to life. And it points our attention as well to the fact that as Tabitha is raised to life, it's not Peter's power doing this, but God, the Lord Jesus, working through Peter, raising Tabitha to life. Sure, Peter's the one saying the words, but it is the power, the authority, the strength of the Lord Jesus. He's still powerfully at work in his church. But the raising of Tabitha is not the point. Sure, she lived some more days, maybe even years before she died. No, the point of this miracle was not to extend her life just a few years, but to point to something greater, to point to the identity and authority of Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Notice what happens in verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Peter stays in Joppa because 
the message of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to save goes forth as a result of the resurrection of Tabitha. And many trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now there's a large church ready to gather in Joppa. And so I think Peter probably stays to help that church get off the ground and grow and be established there because of the powerful work of Jesus Christ. So the greater miracle, while one body was raised to physical life, hundreds of souls were raised and saved from eternal death. They were given spiritual and eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ. Now that's a miracle. When the Lord gives life to the dead, we are encouraged to trust Him. I do not have a green thumb, neither literally nor metaphorically. I'm not good with gardens and raising plants or anything like that. Uh, I may have come to one of you at some point or another and asked for advice with gardening or plants and tried to follow it to the best of my ability, but like following a recipe. It doesn't always go quite right, even when you try your best to do so. A couple years ago, uh, my brother-in-law gifted us uh, a little palm tree. And uh, he gave it to us because he's a missionary in the Philippines, and he wanted that little palm tree to be a reminder of uh, his presence there in the Philippines. Uh, They have those kinds of palms that grow there. And so he gave it to us so we could remember to pray for him. Well, it was a a sweet gift. And so we keep it in our kitchen. And, uh, well, the palm tree he gave us is uh, actually long gone. Uh, It didn't take long for it to die. And so we thought, well, we got to remember somehow to keep praying for him. Let's go find another palm tree. So we went uh, hunting for a similar palm tree that we could purchase, and we found one. And so we placed that one uh, in the same location. Uh, it's like replacing the goldfish, right? Nobody will ever know. So anyway, the, the palm tree is there. And, uh, and so we thought, all right, good. We're on the right footing. We did a little more research this time. Well, how do we keep this palm tree alive? Certainly Iowa is not normal palm, uh, you know, it, Um, climate here. And so we were trying to think, how do we keep this palm alive? So we tried a few different things this time around, hoping to keep the palm alive. Well, recently we saw just some, uh, you know, tan or or brown coloring spreading on the palm branches and leaves. And we thought, oh boy, this is not a good sign. (laughs) Our palm is going down. So before our trip to uh, Austin last weekend, Uh, we went out and we purchased uh, this new kind of soil for it. It was supposed to be designed just for palm trees uh, so the the water would seep through it more quickly and it's supposed to have uh, fertilizer in it for the palm tree and all this. You know, we thought, okay, this is going to solve things. And so we repotted it and put the palm in there and fully expected when we got back from our trip to uh, encounter a bright green, healthy uh, palm tree, fully recovered Uh, because of our excellent gardening skills. Well, can you guess what we found when we returned? A dead palm tree. You got it, yes. Well, it's only mostly dead, okay? So there's still some hope out there. Maybe things will turn around. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, we're we're also shopping for a new palm tree. So anyway, uh, (laughs) we'll see where that goes. Maybe some of you have had better luck with plants and have been able to turn things around by caring carefully for it and watering it just right and fertilizer and food at the right times and it kind of revives and comes back to life. 
It's exciting, right, when, when something revives in a way like that. And certainly, when we think about what the Lord Jesus does in terms of salvation, it truly is the dead coming to life. We might hope that those who have passed away could be raised to life again. But it's really not where we should be placing our hope. Because our hope is for the next life. Our hope is for what the Lord Jesus has promised to do through His resurrection, which is to raise us all to life when He comes again. And then forever to be alive and with the Lord. And at that time to have no more pain and no more sorrow. And at that time to have all disease vanquished from the earth and sin done away with. That's what we hope in and long for. And it's not wrong to pray for for healing and for help in our times of need. Yes, of course it is. But the greater power of the Lord Jesus Christ at work in His church today is the transformation of our hearts to raise dead souls to life in Christ by faith in the gospel and to transform those who've trusted in Christ into the image of Him. Jesus is still raising the dead to spiritual life. Ephesians chapter 2 talks this way in powerful words about the work that God is doing in believers. Let me just read for you those verses there, verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians chapter 2. But God, it's a work of God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, what did he do? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, this is the powerful, saving work of God in his people today. Can he heal and raise the dead? Oh, absolutely, he can, and he will. But what we hope in today, what we look for today, what we rejoice in today is His transforming work in our hearts to raise the dead to spiritual life and to transform the living into the image of His Son. Like Peter, it is good for us to pray, to get down on our knees over these things and to ask the Lord to work in these powerful ways ask that he would raise the spiritual dead to life. And to look then for his work in the lives of others, that when we see someone love as Jesus loved them, we're seeing new life and gospel transformation. When you see someone forgive as Jesus forgave them, you're seeing new life and gospel transformation. When you see repentance and faith in Christ, You're seeing new life and gospel transformation. I wonder, would you turn to the Lord Jesus in faith today? Would you trust Him for salvation and see Him give you new life, as we just read about there in Ephesians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul goes on to say, that by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Would you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and experience His resurrection power today. We're told in Ephesians chapter 1, in similar context, that that resurrection power is still at work today. Paul says this in a prayer in chapter 1, that we may know what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand. You see, the resurrection power of God is still at work in His church, changing lives and transforming hearts. Trust in Him today. Maybe you consider the resurrection power of God at work in His church and you're ready to repent and believe, but you're not sure you can do it. His power is sufficient even for that. Just ask for help. Turn to the Lord in faith. Trust in Him. He raises the dead. He transforms our hearts. And He can help you with whatever next step He wants you to take today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the transforming work of Jesus Christ. We praise You that He is at work. And as we see His power at work, it stimulates in us our own repentance and faith in Christ. May we ever keep turning to the Lord and trusting in Him. To turn and trust. Turn and trust. Help us as we face our challenges, our scenarios, to keep turning and trusting. May we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who has gone before us and the hope that is found in Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.